Welcome to Virtual School Assembly. I'm your host, Tyler Christensen. I'm a productivity speaker, author, and classroom teacher. Here at Virtual School Assembly, I interview Hollywood celebrities, professional athletes, Olympians, speakers, and educators who share messages of inspiration, education, and hope to better prepare you for an ever-changing and uncertain world. Thanks for joining us. Let's get started. Welcome back to Virtual School Assembly. Today, our guest is Jason Stewart. Uh, when you think of one of the most prolific character actors who's an outrageously openly gay stand-up comedian, only one name comes to mind, and that's Jason, of course. Jason's appeared on Birth of a Nation, uh, the indie drama Hank, the action film Abducted, uh, and I could go on in his films. He's been in award-winning films Tangerine, Love is Strange, Gia. On TV, he's had guest roles on, on Sleepy Hollow, Entourage, The Closer, House, Everybody Hates... Chris, I, I again, I can just keep going on. He has over 150 television and film credits. So he is so busy as an actor, but that's if that's not enough for you, he's also a comic. So he's been on Gotham Comedy uh, Live, Red Eye, One Night Stand Up, and a bunch of other places. And since he's so super bored, because he's never doing acting or comedy, he also wrote a book. Um, his autobiography last year, Shut Up, I'm Talking, uh, is about coming out in Hollywood and, and making it to the middle. So we've got a lot to talk about today, Jason. Uh, excited to have you here on the show. Thank you so much. As they say, there's a lot to unpack. <laughs> exactly. So, and I think the best way we can do this to, to start unpacking is we need your origin story. So tell us a little bit about who you are, where you're from, what your childhood was kind of like. Well, I have two wonderful parents uh, both of them, my, my mother was a very big star when I was a kid, but didn't have a film. <laughs> and my father was a king and didn't have a country. So two very egotistical parents. So I became an actor and a comedian so I could get some attention. <laughs> uh, my parents got married very young. My mother was 17. By the time she was 25, she had three children and wanted to kill herself. <laughs> she actually lost her wedding ring in the snow in New York and said to my father, does this mean the marriage is over? <laughs> yeah. Uh, she's had four husbands since then, or really four altogether with my dad. Two she married, two she killed. And my father is another interesting story. My father is a Holocaust survivor, not the camps, but the uh, places that we do, the terrible places now that we have here in this country for people from uh, Mexico and, and Latin America. And my father uh, basically ran from the Nazis most of his childhood, teenage years. He came here in 1949, and he is a self-made millionaire. That's who he was. And he came here and learned to uh, work in the Schmanta business, which was called, which means the rag business, which means for him it was neckties. And he was a janitor in a necktie manufacturing company. Then he became a tie cutter to cut the patterns. And then he learned this really special way to cut patterns really fast. And he became this big maca, which is a big, important guy that got a job in Los Angeles. He came here and he became the vice president and the part owner of the company. And then he went into real estate. And, uh, and my father always used to say to me, when you go to the interview, this is what you do. You wear a tie so they know that you mean business. And what he really meant was to be your best person and to be the best that you can be on that interview. And that's what he taught me. My father's been passed around, uh, I guess, since... Uh, 2012, so that's around seven or seven or eight years. Uh, but uh, and he's it's funny because I get emotional. He's in my heart always. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, so it sounds like you come from 
you know, a colorful background. Oh, um, to say the least. What, when did the, the acting bug catch on for you? Was that from birth you wanted to kind of be on stage or, or did it yeah, grow? Yeah, I was always a funny kid. Um, I remember, you know, when I was around eight or nine, I started doing plays in my temple or in my uh, community center or in school. And I remember I was doing a play called Santa Claus for President. And it was in the Parks and Recs of uh, Hollywood at the Gardner Park. And it was a play about Santa Claus for president. And we were all these different countries. And I, and I had to wear a fat suit. And I thought, how do I wear this fat suit? What, what was it? And then I saw I Love Lucy. For those who don't know, Lucille Ball, for these kids, was one of the biggest television stars in the 50s and 60s and early 70s. And she was pregnant. She was the first person to be pregnant on TV. So when she was on the show being pregnant, she would get out of the chair and she used her whole belly and her whole self and she got all these laughs. So I thought, oh my God, I've got a fat suit. I'm going to pretend I'm pregnant. So during this whole play, I got all these laughs. And then I remember at the end of the play, when everybody was coming over to me and congratulating me, Meyer Levine, who was the director of the play and the, and the creative director at the Gardner Parks, said to me, so you're going to do this, huh? And I said, yeah. <laughs> and he knew it. He knew I was hooked. Oh. And that hooked me. You know, it, it also goes under the origins of, you know, uh, I'll, I'll tell this little story. Um, when I was very young, I went to go see a movie called Funny Girl with a woman named Barbara Streisand. Now, for those who don't know Barbara Streisand, she was the Lady Gaga of her time. And she was outrageous and she had this incredible singing voice and she was funny on the outside and she was sad on the inside. And she's in this movie about this former Broadway uh, vaudevillian star, Fanny Bryce. And she's in love with Nikki Arnstein, which was played by Omar Sharif. And I thought, oh my God, Omar Sharif, he's gorgeous. And I'm, you know, like such a, I'm a baby. I'm like 10 years old and I'm watching this movie and I've driven to this theater on my Schwinn bike with a you know, silver seat and it was olive green and I parked in front and I saw her walk, you know, in the first shot in the movie, you see her walk, she's wearing a leopard coat and she looks at the camera and, and she goes into a, into a um, backstage of a theater and she looks into a mirror and she goes, hello, gorgeous. Again, I was hooked. But I thought to myself, if I'm in love with Omar Sharif, who am I left to be? But Fanny Bryce, Barbara Streisand. So it was, I guess, quite a, a journey for me to uh, figure out who I was, you know, clean up the wreckage of my past and become a man. Right. Cool. Well, so, you know, <clears throat> excuse me. We're all, we all go through that phase, right? From, you know, early adolescence into our teens, into our 20s, where we're discovering who we are, what we value, what we want to be. And so you had a lot going on during this time with discovering who you were, but also now transitioning into to Hollywood and, and, and doing the things that you want to do um, for forever. Um, we haven't talked about the comedy side of that. Was that factoring in early on too, or were you mostly on stages? I was always funny. I did lots of plays. I started to do student films. And when I was 16, I started sending my picture and resume in the mail. For those of the kids who don't know what that is, it's a, it's a thing called an envelope and it's paper. And you put a picture in there of yourself and a resume and you send it with some stamps. Those are things that mean money. And uh, I would send it to TV shows that I liked. Hmm. And I got a call from the, 
casting director of a show called All in the Family, which you may, you may have seen if they know who Norman Lear is. They've been doing a lot of his shows on uh, live TV now, doing it live with, with current stars. And I got a call to be on a show called Maud with B. Arthur, who later got very famous again from being on Golden Girls, playing Dorothy. And uh, I told, I said, hey, I'm 17, and I, I'll need a, you know, I'll need this uh, a tutor on the set, because I knew all this, because I had been in an acting class, a professional acting class, from the time I was 14 years old until I was 16. Mm. Did it for two years. I went there Friday and Saturday for two years straight, except for the one day that Barbara Streisand had a TV special on called Barbara Streisand and Other Musical Instruments. And I took that off and I called in sick because in those days you didn't have VCRs. And I, so what happened was uh, I got into comedy that way because I really thought that I was really funny and I, but I've always told the truth. So when they called me to do this show, I couldn't do it because I was 17. And they said, the minute you're 18, please call. And I waited a day after my 18th birthday and I called them and they gave me a job on a show called one day at a time, which they also redid. And, 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 uh, that's on, I think pop now is on, uh, Netflix or something. And, uh, I, I got my first job on that show. And my first job was racing Valerie Bertinelli's boyfriend to a door, slamming it and walking in without any lines, a silent bit. And of course I was so nervous. I slammed the door so hard that the molding fell off <laughs> And there was my first bit of comedy once again. So, so you've been involved in Hollywood really most of your life. Um, you got in I, early. Honestly, my whole life. I've never not been in Hollywood. I grew up in Los Angeles, right near the May Company, you know, right near the tar pits and CBS studios. And I used to go sneak into the studio, and walk around and see things. That's when you could walk in and just watch stuff. And I would walk around and look at the props and, you know, I think the guy knew me because he always let me walk around and I'd run into, you know, I'd see people, I'd go see all the shows. I, I, I'd sit in the audience and whenever they'd ask a question, I'd raise my hand and I, I was on, uh, oh God, a couple, I was on Password once raising my hand. They said, what time is Odd Couple on, on an ABC? And I said the time they said, give that man a dollar. And that's the first time I made a dollar in show business. <laughs> dollar can you believe it couldn't give me at least 20 bucks yeah there's there's scrooges over there not not <laughs> wanting to share um so with with this long career in hollywood i'm i'm curious we always ask the actors on this show what are the highs and the lows of being in hollywood and i think for you in particular because your your journey there is a little different from others just because you started at such a young age so i'm curious what are some of the hardest things that you've had to experience in Hollywood? Well, I guess being sexually uh, harassed in the comedy community for most of my career. Mm -hmm. And until the last year or two, I didn't realize that I was allowed to say no. Hmm. I, was I didn't realize it because it didn't just happen by fellow comedians. It happened by club owners. And it wasn't, if it, when you're sexually harassed, it doesn't mean that the other person is gay and coming on to you. It, it's about power. Right. And it's about putting you in your place. And it's making it a very difficult work environment. And this happened to me even recently when I spoke up at a club that I'd worked in for most of my career. And I spoke up and I had a very famous friend who you guys all know, I'm not going to say her name because um, it's probably not the right thing to do at this time. One day, maybe I will in the second book. Um, <laughs> she was a dear friend of mine and she was working on her special. And I went down to see her at the club and she said, how come you haven't been showing up very much lately? And I said, well, you know, 
I've just been feeling anxiety attacks about coming in. I just realized that all these women are saying, me too, me too, time's up. And I'm thinking, God, me too. God, I'm over a certain age. It's enough already. And people just sort of, it felt like high school. And it felt, and it, and it really um, stopped me from wanting to be involved. And she actually approached the owner who had been doing it to me and he denied it. And then he stopped hiring me. So I lost my job. Hmm. And that's happened before. I've, I've, I've uh, you know, over the years, this was an important one that I lost. And I do, this man has been very good to me over the years. Mm-hmm. So that's a strange thing. But yet there's a lot of abusiveness that, that happened quite a bit that made it very um, uh, problematic for me to be comfortable doing my, my best work. Yeah. Now, you've written a book about coming out in Hollywood and making it to the middle. I don't Stop know. I'm talking. <laughs> oh, Shut up, I'm talking. So <laughs> on Amazon. <laughs> so, but I, I'm curious about the subtitle about making it to the middle. What does that mean? What's that all about? Well, uh, around, I'd say, mm, 14, 13, 14 years ago, I decided to tape my own special because no one had asked me. I had been headlining comedy clubs for maybe 20 I'd say 20 years, 20, 25 years. And I had this great act that I had that was 45 minutes to an hour. And I wanted to tape it, but I couldn't get a special. They weren't going to give an openly gay guy a special. It just didn't happen. Only one other guy got one on on, uh, uh, HBO, and that was the late Bob Smith, God bless him, that I knew of at the time. And I thought, well, I'm going to do my own. So I, I actually had friends that I called people I'd worked on a short film with this woman and she was a director and she was such a great uh, so organized I got heard we got all these people and we worked and we created this special at a club date that I was doing we taped four shows we used one as a template and then we kept adding other things because I'm very improvisational in my show and then I sold this show and I thought what should the name of it be what should it be called where am I well I'm in the middle of my life I'm in the middle of the country and I'm in the middle of my career and I always thought I was going to be a, either a really big star or a failure. Well, I made it to the middle. Huh. That's awesome. That's a, that's a cool way to look at it. Yeah. Um, now, a lot has changed in Hollywood um, in the last 10 years. And, and some of that's good and some of it's not so good. How have things improved or, or maybe declined as far as being an openly gay man in Hollywood? Well, it's an interesting uh, thing. People say it's changed so much and we should be proud of it, you know, which we are. And it also, uh, I became, uh, 15 years ago, I created, co-created with Duncan Crabtree Ireland, the uh, Screen Actors Guild after LGBTQ committee, which I co-chair now with Tracy Godfrey. Um, And I did that because I wanted to support openly gay actors. I've been going to Outfest, which is the biggest uh, film festival in Los Angeles and in the country. And I've been hanging out with all these out actors and a lot of them were very uncomfortable and very scared. And some of them were out to different degrees and I wanted to be of support. So we started creating this. And then you start realizing that everybody has a different feeling of what being out is, you know, uh, and how hard it is for some people and how easy it is for others. Um, For me in my career, since I didn't have very much work in the eighties when I first started out. So I'm, at a disadvantage of catching up with my straight counterparts. I didn't have a series. And I can tell you some, I mean, I was on Star Search at the same time Martin Lawrence was. I had done, I won one episode and then he won the next one by a quarter of a point. And you would think that my, I would have been offered a TV contract or something because 
I was a quarter of a point. And I was just as uh, uh, funny and, and new and fresh and young as he was. But he was offered it. He got to do the remake of What's Happening Now. And then he got his own series. And I had the same guy trying to get a series for me. Never happened. I had maybe 10 to 12 different people trying to get series for me in that from the 80s until the early 90s when I came out on TV. And it wasn't the same. So as now, as I've become a prolific character actor, I didn't get the same opportunity. So sometimes the money isn't the same as my straight counterparts. I paid less. Um, sometimes the opportunities are less. Sometimes I'm fired before I even get to the job and I don't even know about it. I had been, uh, a couple of years ago, I had been offered a string of casinos to do, which was really, those are great jobs because you go in, you do the show and you leave. And it's really easy and fun and the crowds all want to have a good time because they're on vacation. And they, they canceled all my shows because they found out I was gay. They, I don't even know if they even saw my act. So there's, a st there's still that kind of thing going on. I've been fired from shows because I was gay. Never asked if I could do something else. One particular sitcom. Um, I have been, uh, people are always putting me in a box, you know, trying to say this is what I do. And I, that happens to everybody, but my box is smaller. So I've had to learn. So around, I'd say around 10 or 12 years ago, I got off the road and I decided to not work as much on the road and to focus on one day events to make money, gay events or colleges and, or Jewish events or just theater gigs. And I focused on my acting career and I decided to, to really not listen to anybody anymore and go, okay, I can be a great character actor. I don't have to play the funny gay guy. I don't have to pay the prissy uh, hotel clerk. I don't have to play the, you know, the manager of something that says, you go over there, I'll be back in five. And I got a job guest starring on The Closer in 2009. And I played a guy who talked like this and he was a manager of a storage facility and all this stuff was going on. And all of a sudden, I'm a character actor playing a straight guy on a hit show and that sort of changed that was the beginning of my career changing i went back to class i studied playing different kinds of parts different kinds of walks different kinds of voices i worked on my voice i lowered my voice it took me years and uh i tried to in a sense uh not be a one-trick pony because i bought what people told me right. that i could only do that and that led me to the birth of a nation that film that I did that really changed my whole uh, career. Well, well, let's talk about Birth of a Nation for a while. Why did it have such an impact for you? And why is it something that our, our students watching this, why should they be interested in it? I say to anybody who uh, wants to be in show business or any business that you build it and it will come. They think I wrote that. It's Kevin Costner and, you know, yeah. build it and it will come you know, and keep putting building blocks on top of stuff. You know, you, you can't do something expecting an immediate result. You know, if somebody would have told me it would take 35 years to get an incredible part in an incredible movie with a story that I believed in, that touched my heart, that was exactly the way I felt when I went into the movie theater, that the lights would go dark and I would see something on screen from a different point of view and I would change my point of view. That was The Birth of a Nation, which, which was about black abolitionist Nat Turner. And it was written, directed, starring, and produced by Nate Parker. And that man changed my life. If I never see him again, I still am in touch with him, but if I never see him again, it will never change for me. And I got to work with people like Asia Naomi King from... Uh, 
from uh, Murder with with Violet Davis, uh, How to Get Away with Murder. I got to work with Army Hammer. I got to work with Jackie Earl Haley, Oscar nominee. I got to work with Oh Anjanu. So many incredible actors: Penelope Ann Milford, no, no Milford, Penelope, Penelope Ann Miller. I mean, just the Golden Globe nominee from all the who worked with all the Godfathers into the movies, Pacino and Brando. Oh, just everybody. And I got to work with these incredible people and I got to step up to the plate. And what happened was, is that around 10 years ago, I had read that they were giving tax breaks all over the country to make movies. And I thought, well, I have to get agents out there so they can get me a part. So I got agents all over the country. I had like five or 10 of them. Nobody did anything for me. I did it for years. And one day I get a call from this agent in New Orleans, Brenda Nussbaumer, and she says she's interested in handling me. This is three months after I sent her the thing. So she started sending me out. One day she called me, but she sent me out for great parts all the time, which my LA agents never did. Always small roles, nothing really, you know, big. So she sends me out for this part of a white heterosexual Christian plantation owner in 1831. And I'm a gay liberal Jew. Oy. So I said, I thought, I can't do this. And I was doing a gig that night. So that means, and she said, we have to get it to them by noon. Los Angeles time the next day. I had an assistant, thank God. And I said, and he was working for me once a week. And that was the day I said, come over to the house, get there at 9 a.m. I'm going to do this. We worked on it for two hours. I did it. I sent the tape in uh, and I forgot about it. Then a week later, I get a call and my agent says, some guy named Nate Parker wants to meet you. So I have to get it. So I use, what I did is I had American Airlines credit card and I could use that for a freaking flyer. I got one of those shit cars, you know, stayed in some crap hotel where a woman was pregnant, you know, standing on the balcony smoking and some guy was by the pool looking like he was going to kill me in my sleep. Three hours early, I go to the mall, you know, and where it's in a mall, that's where an outside mall, strip mall. And I go there, you know, and uh, God and I had been practicing the N-word all night because I'm playing a slave owner. I'd never said the N-word ever in my life. Maybe once in my car when I was listening to Snoop Dogg and singing with a song. <laughs> the windows were up by accident. Oh, my God. You know, so uh, I remember in the hotel when I was practicing the N-word, there was a knock at the door. And the housekeeper goes, what's going on in there? I said, she says, I hear voices. I said, I don't know. It's just a bunch of Republicans on TV. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sitting there in the parking lot. I'm rehearsing my part near my car. And some guy walks by me. He says, I know you. And I said, who could that be? And it was Nate Parker. Mm-hmm. Nate Parker. Because I thought, I have a fan in the middle of a parking lot in New Orleans, you know, in Savannah, Georgia, rather. And he was so handsome and so charismatic. And I don't even know what he said. But because I saw him in the parking lot, I was able to go, <sighs> And just breathe, because I'm always, I'm not really, I hate first days of school. I hate first days on a set. I hate first days of anything. And I went in, did the part, did the best I can. He said, could you do it again? You're very serious in this. We love the dramatic parts, but could you be a little funny? This guy is very much of a blowhard. I thought, (laughs) can I be funny? So I added some (laughs) humor, did it again, left, said, thank you very much, got home. The next day, I got a call from my agent's assistant. She says, how's your day going? I said, well, it's fine. She says, well, it's about to get a lot better. I said, why? She says, you got the part. And I said, what part? She said, the plantation owner. I said, don't you lie to me. She said, why would I lie? I'm a nice country girl. And I just burst into tears. It changed my whole life. I had eight scenes in a major motion picture 
with major stars. And I had a, a part that was integral to the story. And I was working with incredible people. And the film went to Sundance, won best uh, picture at Sundance by the audience and the, the professionals, the jury. And it was one of the greatest experiences I've ever had. Just as an artist, as a human, to be a part of that, to work with them on the set, to be able to hold my own for, you know, it, it, it just completely changed me. And this is how great Nate Parker is. I'll, I know I'm taking too long with this, but this is how great he is. I, when I got the part, I flew to um, Savannah five days early and stayed with a friend of mine in Jacksonville, Florida, which was an hour and 45 minutes away, away before I started. And I called his assistant and I said, who was Denzel Washington's daughter? And I didn't even know it. And I said, if, he, I, if there's a table read, you know, if there's a, if he has time to meet with me, I'd love to talk to him about the character because I hate first days. And he, he, he said a time. He changed it three times. I rented another car on my own dime, drove there an hour and 45 minutes, got there. He was staying in this house that looked like it was Thanksgiving. His family was there and people running and kids. And he came to the door barefoot, put on his shoes, walked up the stairs in the, and there was a, an office above in a garage. <clears throat> and he said, he, said, he, uh, he turned around and, and was looking for the script. And I said, I just want to thank you for casting me. And then he says, no, thank you. And I just, oh man, I just almost, thank God he was turned around because I almost completely lost it. Everything I did was right. Right. You know, everything was in place. That's awesome. Well, and it, it's no surprising because this comes after years and years of, of building up to that. And, and oh, I think right. If someone told me we were going to take 35 years to get a good part, I would have went, oh, God, <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Yeah. There's a lot of ups and there's a lot of downs. Right. And it's about it's about building building bricks. It's about building a, you know a career. You know, right. if you want to make money really quick, this is not the business for you. Right. If you don't really love the work, I think that goes in any any career. If you don't really love the work, and you just want the outcome of it, when you get it, it won't feel that way. Mm -hmm. You have to love what you're doing. And I love telling stories. I love playing different characters. I love the idea that everything happens in one second on a set and you're all doing it together. And then something, and then you go into a theater or watch on TV and you're moved and you learn something or you laugh out loud or you cry. You know, I love that idea. Yeah. Well, it's been awesome hearing kind of your journey uh, through Hollywood. I want to circle back around for our last question, just because as you talk about being put in a box and the me too movement and other things that have happened to you, I think, you know, a lot of students, will relate to that, not necessarily because they're coming out, but maybe, you know, with the Black Lives Movement right now and other things, a lot of people feel like the world is against them at some point. They're being discriminated, and, and often that is the case, that they, people are discriminating against them. What advice would you give to a young person who feels like everyone's against them right now, they don't have a voice? Um, what, what kind of advice do you have for that kid? Well, my dad always used to say, be the best you can be. Nate Parker said to me, when talent meets opportunity, mm -hmm. be prepared, know your job, do the best that you can do, become incredibly proficient so they can't not hire you. Know, know where your lane is, and if you want to get out of it and drive in another lane, 
drive in that lane proud. I would say, you know, people say, did you, you, you can't come in the front door, you come out the back. I didn't come out the front door or the back door. I came out through a screen door that had a doggy door in it, and then I crawled. <laughs> you know, that's how hard it was for me. Uh, it, it, most, most careers that are really big, you have to walk in there. I used to call it uh, <clears throat> Tom Cruise because I always thought Tom Cruise's career, he, he would have the, like these, you know, laser head. You know, he would like walk around almost like this for his career. And you'd, if you notice his career, he did funny movies first and then he worked with every big famous um, older actor mm-hmm. and he and great directors. And then he became this incredible action star and an Oscar nominated actor. And he just was so driven. Or you look at his ex-wife, Nicole Kidman. She didn't want to be just a pretty face. She did all these different kind of movies. So you find a person that you really dig in whatever career they're doing, and you emulate them. You you take from them. And then you put your own twist on it of who you want to be. If you don't know anything about somebody, you go to classes. You read everything you can read. You reach out. You, I reach out to people all the time. I still send letters to directors that I want to work with. 90% of the time, they don't call me back. You know, but you can do it. Yeah, no, that's great. Well, Jason, thank you so much for sharing your experience with us today and, and for your advice. If, if kids want to follow your career, or if they want to uh, connect with you on social media or something like that, where's the best place for them to find you online? You go to jasonstewart.com, S T U A R T, Stuart. <laughs> jasonstewart.com. All my social media is there my Instagram, my Twitter, my Facebook. Um, honestly, get my book. You know, it it will really teach you something. And watch my new series. I've made two television series myself that are both on Amazon. The new one is called Smothered. And it's about these two guys in a relationship who uh, hate each other but can't afford to get divorced. And I did seven five-minute episodes. Years ago, I did a show called Mentor. It has six episodes about mentoring younger people. And uh, we play ourselves in it with Alexander Paul from Baywatch. Go in and, and keep creating. Like, I just started creating things. Create stuff. Uh, don't stop if it's what you want to do. But if you don't want to do something and you find it's not of interest to you and you just can't get yourself going, do something else. There's something out there for you. And if you want to be in show business and you think that you want to be an actor, but you don't have a, you're afraid or you're, you just don't feel like this is your thing, there's a million other jobs in show business that you can be from director to script person to producer, writer, you know, wardrobe, hair. There's so many different things you can do. Raising money. I mean, there's a million jobs out there. Be creative and go where your passion is because then you'll know that when you go where your passion is that you will be successful because that's where it comes from the heart. Well, Jason, thanks for joining us on the show today. Uh, It's been a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you so much for having me. So much for joining us today on Virtual School Assembly. If you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever else you listen to Virtual Assemblies. And leave us a rating and review so we know what you learned and took away from this Virtual Assembly. Videos and show notes are found at virtualschoolassembly.com. And if you're a school leader and you're looking for a speaker for virtual or traditional in-school assemblies, or if you're looking for some teacher training, I'd love to connect with you to see how I can help. You can check out my website at tylerchristiansen.com. Thanks. You are super duper. Let's go out and make the world a better place. Bye-bye.